tonight, I want to get right into the message this evening. I want to talk to you about breaking the chains that hold you back. I'm in a series on the Holy Spirit. I had an interesting call this evening of someone that is not happy. Welcome home, Marilyn. We've missed you. Not happy in their career. And I don't know, you may be like some people that I know over the years that uh, they went to school and they prepared, got their degree, and it's kind of bad when you get a law degree and then find out you don't like being an attorney. You know, you got a big bill to pay, or I have no folks that studied medicine and then found out they didn't like being a doctor. Um, so, you know, from time to time I have these conversations with people, and, and this evening having that conversation in between appointments, I was um, just kind of contemplating what is it about tonight's message that has got me so jazzed? And it's that conversation with this individual this evening that feels chained to a career field they don't enjoy, even though they prepared for it. And I realized that this is a message that we can share with so many other folks, but the Holy Spirit, when Christ gave us his word, and he also, as we looked at last week, he poured out his spirit upon us. Jesus says he gives us his word that if we'll do it, we'll be free. He gives us his Holy Spirit to give us the power to be able to keep his word. For us, it's just like having Christ with us if we learn to walk that way in the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk about that as we go on. It's why Jesus would say it's more advantageous for you that I go away than if I stay. Because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit will not come. And I think that maybe there are those times we think how much cooler it would have been to actually walked and talked with Jesus. And that probably would have been very cool. But we also have to remember how those disciples forsook him when that ultimate test came because of their fear. And Jesus strengthens us to be able to live a life of freedom for him. The first few verses, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll ask you to stand in just a moment, but just kind of real quickly. I've been enjoying reading the complete Jewish Bible. It also includes a Hebrew translation of the New Testament as well. But in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, the spirit of Adonai, or the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Adonai is upon me because he has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the imprisoned, and you might want to circle that phrase, freedom for the imprisoned, renewed sight for the blind, and to release those who have been crushed. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. freedom. How many of you know where you can find that verse of Scripture downtown? You know that guy that's holding the globe downtown? You know where I'm talking about at? That's the verse. It's written right there on the base of that supporting that, that verse of Scripture. I mean, supporting that, that statue of that man holding the globe. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, For I know that as you pray for me, and the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance or my freedom, Paul said. And he goes on, interestingly, in the verses after that, he says, you know, it may mean freedom from this prison or it may be freedom through death, but either way, I'm going to be free. And then he goes on to say, you know, for me, I would just rather go ahead and be with Jesus. But for you, it's more advantageous if I live. And that's, boy, that is true freedom. When you don't live in fear of anything, hell can throw your way. You know you're more than a conqueror. Amen? That's true freedom. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, Paul speaking about those Old Testament stories like we studied in the book of Genesis, like we studied in the book of Daniel, and we're going to look tonight in this study, the book of Exodus. These things happen to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of this age. Now, in the biblical teaching, we're living at that time known as the end of the age. We're living in that church age. 
And we just got finished with a thorough study of the book of Revelation. And we've talked about that, the end of the age. We're living in that time. And time with the Lord is so much different than time with us. God exists outside of time. God created time. And, you know, time's a fascinating biblical study in itself. But to understand the story from Exodus I want to take you to tonight, you need to understand that biblical history is written to enlighten us and for a life application of the truths learned. In other words, when I say enlightened, to give us understanding. When I say enlightened, I mean more than inspire, but I mean that it's like turning on a light in a dark place. When we as a staff come in here to pray at 11 o'clock each day, <clears throat> we don't turn all the lights on. We turn one light on in this building. And um, we, you know, I'm a walker when I pray. I like to walk. And um, now it gets to be kind of a circus with four people walking around in here sometime because I typically walk faster. The more intense I'm praying about something, the faster I walk. The if it's not really troubling me, I'll just kind of stroll along, but I just walk. But we just need one light. It just, but if you turn the lights out in the sanctuary, it's a dark place. I mean, it's pitch black in here. You just can't see your hand in front of your face. So it's to enlighten us, but it's also so that we can learn how to apply the truths from the Old Testament, but also apply the truths from the New Testament to our lives. God just never gives us information. We can grow as a result of it. And then number two, this has got to be a conviction or you'll never read your Old Testament like you should. We need these historical examples at the end of the age. God would not have given them to us. And I love sitting down with my Jewish friends who don't accept the New Testament. They reject Christ as Messiah. But I love sitting down with my Jewish friends and talking about these Old Testament stories, getting their story. I, I have a gift from one of a, a Jewish study Bible. I have a gift from another one on the study of, of, of death. And, and then I love really sitting down with my Messianic Jewish friends, those that have come to know Christ. And boy, sometimes they can just, I, I, just, I can't share with you yet because I've got to study it out, but I just had a conversation. It's not often that I get my mind blown, but I got my mind blown last week. And it's just had me even waking up early in the morning, digging in because of a conversation with one of these friends who just pointed out something that you had to be Jewish. I mean, I've invited people to enjoy one of the most precious delicacies that I can share with you in my home, and I've yet to meet one of you Yankees that enjoy my boiled peanuts. You know? They're better boiled than they are parched. And none of you like them. But if you grew up in Georgia like me, you'd love them. I mean, you just think, this is the greatest thing since they make Coca-Cola. You know, it's, it's good stuff. It's the only way to watch a Georgia football game. So stand with me if you would, and I want to take you to the book of Exodus tonight, two passages. And because it's lengthy, if, if you need to sit down, feel free to do so. Fathers, we read your word this evening together, and we know because of our past studies of the Holy Spirit's work throughout the Old Testament, throughout the book of Genesis, God, Ruach, that breath of God, the Spirit of God, I'm asking you breathe upon us tonight. And you will break any chains. You'll deliver us from any grindstones. Lord, you've been delivering us. You'll deliver us from anything that's holding us back from being what you've called us and created us to be. God, I come against those attitudes of defeat, pessimism, criticism. I come against, Lord, those attitudes of some people have that you just can't please them. God, those family traits and things. We just ask you tonight, whatever those are, you would break them in our lives. For the Son of God has set us free. The Spirit of the Lord has come to give us freedom. And where you are, wherever I go, wherever these that love you go, Lord, they walk in freedom because of what you have done for us. I ask this tonight in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Moses and Aaron went to the king of Egypt, or Pharaoh, and told him, The Lord God says, Let my people go into the desert so they can honor me with a celebration there. 
Pharaoh goes, who is this Lord? I mean, you can just see the snarling, the sarcasm. I see it sometimes in late night TV show hosts when they're mocking God. Who is this Lord? And why should I obey him? Got to remember, Pharaoh thought he was God. And humanism teaches people that ultimately we are gods. That's why you hear so much talk about the inner deity within you, the inner light within you. The king replied, I refuse to let you and your people go. Skipping down to verse 6. That same day the king gave orders to his slave bosses and to the men directly in charge of the Israelite slaves. And he told them, don't give the slaves any more straw to put in their bricks. Force them to find their own straw whenever they can. But they must make the same number of bricks as before. They are lazy or they would not beg me to let them go and sacrifice to their God. Make them work so hard they won't have time to listen to these lies. The slave bosses and the men in the charge of the slaves went out and told them, the king or the Pharaoh says he will not give you any more straw. And then in verse chapter 6, verse 1, then the Lord God told Moses, soon you will see what I do to the king. Because of my mighty power, he will let my people go. He will even chase them out of this country. My name is the Lord. But when I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I came as God all-powerful and did not use my name. I made an agreement and promised the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. Now I've seen how the people of Israel are suffering because of the Egyptians, and I will keep my promise. Here is my message for Israel. I am the Lord. And with my mighty power, I will punish the Egyptians and free you from slavery. And I will accept you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I was the one who rescued you from the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land I solemnly promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it will be yours. I am the Lord. Can you say amen? amen. God bless you. You can be seated tonight. If you don't know the full story... Let me kind of just give you a little bit of background. This is long after Joseph that we finished up the book of Genesis. This is long after Joseph had already died. And the book of Exodus opens up that now there was a new Pharaoh. And he had forgotten, didn't know who Joseph was and forgotten how God had used Joseph to, to deliver and to set the people of Egypt free as well as his own people and save them during that horrible seven-year famine that came along. The Egyptians hated the Israelites. One of the reasons they hated them was because of their chosen profession, and that was to be shepherds. And the Egyptians eventually forced the Israelites to become their slaves, and they worked in mud factories. Literally, that's what you could call it, as a mud factory. They were making bricks, and a part of that process of making bricks was making straw, and, and, or taking straw and putting it into the bricks to help them stay secure and help them be strong and bake them in the sun. And so my grandfather, when he stopped sharecropping, literally went to work in a cotton mill. If you've never been in a cotton mill, there is no air conditioning. And being in southern Georgia, you'll, the heat is just unbearable. And there's all this cotton that's constantly drifting around. And I know as a young man, I'd go out to see my grandfather sometime in the cotton mill and say, Papa, why do you keep doing this? And he, he did it because he loved the people he worked with and he still just loved being involved. And he worked, he was, bless his heart, he was pulling lighter stumps out of the swamp on the back of the farm the day he had his stroke that took him on to heaven. Just was a man that loved to work. A mud, mud factory was an oppressive place in the, in the, in the Delta Nile, the Nile Delta of Egypt because of the humidity, the oppressiveness, the flies. It wasn't the best place to work. And they were making all of these bricks. And I'm sure that they had not only lost their faith, you know that from reading, reading the story, but I'm sure they had thought that somehow or another God had forgotten them. And they thought about the promises that had been made, the promises that would have been passed down. You remember we went through those blessings that Jacob prayed over his sons. You remember the, the blessings to Joseph. We talked about all of those. We talked about the power of blessing, the power that you have to bless others, and, and you need to bless your children. Last week I made reference to the man that I called his hand because of the way he was treating his son and speaking to his son, and that you're going to raise a rebellious teenager, a teenager that hates you and hates God because you represent God to this church, I mean to your son, if you don't learn to get a hold of yourself and manage your mouth and manage your temper. 
I call it a grindstone mentality. Literally, that's what these Israelites were doing. They had gone from thriving to surviving. And a lot of times I meet Christians, especially Christians like us who believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that lives in our lives, and we're living far beneath what God has called us to. We let things get a hold of our thinking. We let things get a hold of our hearts. Sometimes we blame it on our genetics. And I can't tell you how many people say, well, my father had this problem, my grandfather had this problem, I'm going to have this problem. Sometimes we blame it on our parents' sin. I had a young man come into my office and uh, I had confronted him about his sinful relationship because I loved him. And he goes, he said, Pastor, he says, my great-grandfather got a woman pregnant and got married. My grandfather got a woman pregnant and got married. My father got a woman pregnant and got married. That's going to be who I am too. And I said, you can break that chain now. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the good news of Christ. Sometimes people blame it upon their lack of education. And I love to remind people that technically D.L. Moody, how many of you know that name, D.L. Moody? That's the name I hope the church never forgets. Dwight L. Moody, who preached for the Queen of England, who shook Europe, who shook the United States, who was packed out the largest places could be found. Dwight L. Moody was technically illiterate. And he preached the gospel because he was willing to be taught and he was such a man of God. Billy Graham would often talk about the power and the influence of D.L. Moody's life and how he preached the gospel. And I know people that let their lack of education or their lack of skill sets hold them back from what God wants them to be. I, I know people who let, they, they, they live with worry, and so they let worry hold them back. They're, they're worried about their health. They're worried about their finances. They're worried they won't have enough, or they're worried they won't be healthy enough. And, and it becomes a grindstone mentality. Some people worry because of, they just tell me, says, well, I'm just given to depression. Well, when you give your life to Jesus, you don't have to be given to depression anymore. Depression is not the will of God for your life. It doesn't mean you won't battle it from time to time. Charles Spurgeon, that great pastor of the 1800s and early 1900s, Charles Spurgeon battled depression all of his life, but today he is still one of the most read preachers in the world, and his devotional is still one of the most beloved devotionals in the world. Some of you probably have used it called Morning by Morning, Day by Day is another one, because he brings such encouragement into the lives of other people through his ministry of the Word. It's what this story is telling me tonight, along with what I understand of Jesus taught about the ministry and the presence of the Holy Spirit, is you and I, we don't have to be defeated by a grindstone mentality. We are no longer in chains to the things that once bound us. The church used to sing songs like, he set me free, he set me free, because we understood that when the power of sin was broken in our life, that's redemption, when the power of sin was broken in our life, you and I were free in Christ to become all that God created us to be. Somebody ought to say amen right there. I mean, that's, salvation is more than fire insurance. I mean, it would be wonderful if it just kept us from going to hell, correct? It'd be wonderful if it just kept us from going to hell. But salvation is, shalom is so much more than that. God has called us to live a life of freedom. And it's interesting to me that one of the verses of Scripture that I think about when I read this, and I think about the Israelites in Egypt, is that they never got to benefit from the good that they were bringing to Egypt. You can go to Egypt today and you can still see some of the ruins of what they built there. But they, that generation, never got to benefit from it. It was all for the glory of Pharaoh who sneered, who is this God and why should I obey him? It's a question that people ask today. Who is God and why should I obey him? You remember the story of, of, of Samson? Remember when Samson had sinned and he finally gave up his, 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 the secret of his power? And you've seen the movie, I'm sure. They've made, I don't know how many movies about Samson, but they gouged out his eyes, they cut off his hair, and Samson is pulling the grindstone in one of the movies I remember. The, the Bible tells us that they used him literally as a brute beast, that he would turn the grindstone. Now, grindstones 
were about six foot. We've, we have lots of those from, from antiquity. Grindstones were about six feet wide. They were enormously heavy, and they sat on top of another stone, and usually a, a, like a, an ox or something would, would pull that grindstone around, and it would grind the wheat. It would grind the grain and separate the grain from the, the husk, and it, they were ingenious in how they designed the grooves and the channels so that the grain would eventually come out. If you've been to, how many of you have been to the Great Smoky Mountains? You've been to the old corn mill, the grist mill there. You've seen a, a grindstone at work if you've been there before. I think there may be one even out at Henry Ford at Greenfield Village. But the Samson was turning this grindstone. They gouged his eyes out. And one of the most humane verses in the Bible, you can't find this anywhere else. One of the most humane verses in the Bible is found in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 4. It says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. Actually, the Apostle Paul will use this verse in his New Testament teachings and writings. He'll use this very verse. Because God was saying, you're going to use this animal's strength and let the animal leave him unmuzzled so he can eat of the grain that he's grinding so that he won't get hungry, that he'll still have strength. The, the pagans would tie their beast up, muzzle them because they were so greedy, they wouldn't even let the, the beast have it just enough to be necessary to be able to survive. But God says, don't muzzle the ox, let him eat. And the children of Israel, they were muzzled by Pharaoh that they didn't benefit from anything good that they were creating and building in all of Egypt. Perhaps in your job, you get a bonus. Someone called me the other day so excited about a bonus, a sizable bonus that they were getting. And we were, I was rejoicing with them. Perhaps you, sometimes you, maybe you work on a commission and you, you work hard. And, and I know I, kind of how I paid my way through my very first year of college is I took a, a job on commission and, and I was a go-getter. I, I made good money doing that job because once I found out that um, I wasn't limited by an hourly wage. I was limited by how creative I could be for this company in the Lakeland Mall. And, and uh, my star rose because I was aggressive and I went out. And my boss asked me one time, says, how are you making all these sales to the high schools and to the cheerleaders and to the football teams? And I said, because all they can do is say no. And most of the time they'll say yes if you just come out. And so this... This, this principle of rewarding people for the work they do, that's a biblical principle. It's why I've told you before, when people throw cheap shots at the Bible, they have no clue what they're talking about. They're mirroring somebody that they've heard on a late night mocking TV show. Or they're, they're mirroring some laser lip professor that studied in his particular field of study, but he's never studied ethics, he's never studied biblical history, he's never studied biblical archaeology. Women were treated better, animals were treated better, as a revelation of God's Word was given to us. And so, this is an important principle because the ox was treated better than the children of Israel. So tonight as I talk to you about this, here are some things I'd like you to think about. Where are you not reaching your potential? Are you able to identify where you're not reaching your potential at? Maybe it's your circumstances. You say, well, my circumstances are holding me back. Maybe it's your, your job. You're, just, you're not happy with your job, or you feel like your job is not giving you the opportunities that you want. And sometime later, I'll talk to you more about that in this series, and I probably later on towards the fall, I'm working on a message in, in one of my series in the fall when I'm talking about if you're not happy with your work, get ready for a new job because God has a new job for you. You don't have to stay in a place where you're not happy. I just got done talking with somebody else in my study just a few minutes ago before I came out here. You don't have to stay in a job. Don't go quit your job tonight. But there is a biblical way about preparing yourself so that you can enjoy the work you do. When I hear people complaining, oh, I hate my job, I go, why are you still there? If you hate something, why are you still there, you know? You just kind of got to work through that process. So tonight, if there's areas of potential in your life, why aren't you growing? 
What has brought you to the place of a grindstone mentality? And don't make the mistake of defining people by their circumstances, and don't define yourself by your circumstances. This morning, Becky and I were watching the news together, and we were just, we both just had to stop and sit down. A young man, homeless, a homeless young man, just graduated as valedictorian of his high school, and is awarded over $2 million in university scholarships and has been accepted at 40 different colleges already. And the young man was homeless. Isn't that awesome? It's just, you know, you don't define people by their circumstances. You don't define people by their families. You don't define people by their past. One of the sharpest rebukes I ever gave anybody at Woodland Church was standing right back there at those back doors when a new couple began attending our church and somebody came over and said to me, Pastor, you don't want them coming to this church. And I turned around and said, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I said it loud enough that everybody could hear. They shut their mouth up. That is exactly what the devil, he defines people by their past or their circumstances. Friends, listen, Christ died for everyone, and everyone that will receive Christ can get a fresh start in life. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? So what's the potential in your life? What is it that you want to grow in? Where do you want to excel in? You know, do you, do you want to excel in, 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 in your writing ability? Then sit down and write a little bit every day. If you want to Sit down. If you want to learn to write, we've got several people now in the church that have been sharing with me. They're, they're becoming writers. As a matter of fact, I'm a little jealous of them. They're, they're doing so well. They're, they're sitting down. I said, the key is just take five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes a day and just write. You know, don't worry about how good it sounds. Don't worry about punctuation. Don't worry about grammar. Just write what, keep a journal. Write what is on your heart and mind and write it down. Do you want to, do you want to get healthy? Do you feel like maybe your potential is being held back because you've ignored your health and you go, well, Pastor, I, you just don't know me and French fries. Yes, I do. I sympathize. I have compassion with you and French fries. I've never met a French fry I didn't love. And with mayonnaise, they're even better. And so, oh, yes. Barb's over here going, oh, no. <laughs> You know, but where's the, where are you being held back? You know, is it, is it staying with a budget? Is it learning to manage your money? Because those are the areas, and I'd like you just to take a moment, real quickly, write down one area of potential in your life that you feel like you're not reaching. I'll give you maybe 30 seconds to do that while I get a swallow of water. One area of potential. The second thing is identify your adversary. Identify your adversary. In the story I just read you, the adversary is Pharaoh. Now, you know, I've talked about this before, so I won't take a lot of time, but, you know, Israel is an example for us. And in this story, Pharaoh is an example of the devil. He is the adversary. What is it the thief has come to do? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. What has Jesus come to do? To give us life and life more abundantly, okay? There's the mission of the two, the enemy. And, and, and let me also say this. Your adversary, the devil, your adversary is nowhere near as powerful as God. He's God's devil. He belongs to God. But when you think of your adversary, it's okay to think of, of um, what the meanest person I can think of right now is Darth Vader. You know, I just, you know, he's... It's the meanest person I can think of right now, you know? That's, so who is your adversary, you know? I guess the guy from Lord of the Rings, you know, is, uh, you know, whatever it is. What it, your adversary tonight, the Bible says, goes about like a lion, a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking who may he may 
kill, he may destroy, he may steal from. The, uh, Peter says he goes seeking whom he may devour. He wants to devour your potential because God created you for fruitfulness. Jesus has set you free not to live a self-centered life, but to live a Christ-centered life. And if you live a Christ-centered life, then people matter to you, especially lost people. Can we say amen? And so he wants to devour that potential in your life. The third thing I'd say is identify your attitude. Identify your attitude. There was a song that was popular when Becky and I were young. We had been married just maybe five or seven years, and there was a song called Write a Message to the Devil on the Bottom of Your Shoes. And occasionally, we would see people praying in the altar, and there would be this message written on the bottom of their shoe to the devil. We never did that, but I thought that was the coolest thing in the world because I would be praying for people as a young pastor, and they would have, I'm going to be healed, or devil, you're a liar. And it, it was just so funny to see that on the bottom of their shoes. And I thought, what a cool idea. They literally knew that they had written a message to the devil. You see, if we're not careful, we mirror the attitudes of people around us. You know, I, I have found this to be true that sometimes, you know, you meet people and they're crass or they're coarse or they're salty and they just kind of rub you the wrong way. And rather than respond in the spirit of Jesus, you feel yourself, you know, you're doing it in a, because you're a Christian, you're doing it in a righteous way, right? And you find yourself mirroring that attitude. And I I have to check myself once in a while and go, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not the way Christ handled these types of encounters. And so you, you have to identify your attitude. Sometimes you have to identify your attitude when you're facing your adversary because if you don't know that God is for you, and if God is for you, who can be against you? Isn't that what the Bible says? If you don't know that, when you get before the, your enemy, the adversary, and maybe your adversary, the enemy is coming against you in your area of health. Maybe he's coming against your area of finances. Maybe he's coming against your family, your marriage, your career. Maybe he's coming against you with depression. The Bible says he talks about these fiery darts or these fiery missiles, the fires that are mine. You wouldn't have known this. Can I share this with you? And just don't go out of here with it tonight. And don't be weird about it. But man, I was fighting spiritual warfare such big time Sunday morning while I was preaching the gospel. And right Sunday morning when I knelt down there in this altar to pray with you Sunday morning, there was just like this tremendous, and I just had to remind myself of who the Lord was and what the truth of the message I had just preached was. And then I, I leave and I go out of here and I, and I have to listen to a heartbreaking story over lunch with someone else. And then as I'm leaving, and this whole time there's this warfare going on and I have to keep reminding myself of who I am in Christ. Say, Pastor, does that have? Listen, you will never stop fighting spiritual warfare. And then before I leave the restaurant, someone who doesn't go to our church shared another heart. Would you pray with me? And shared another story. I was so glad to finally get in the Mustang. I was glad Becky wasn't with me. I was glad the kids weren't with me. I got in the Mustang and I sat there. I cranked up my stereo as loud as I could singing praise songs with Hillsong. <laughs> Because you've got to control your attitude. And the best way I know to control your attitude is to allow the Holy Spirit to control you because God is not giving you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind or self-control. Can we give him a hand of praise for that tonight? You've got to do that, and it's constant work. So the Egyptians, let's look at this verse. The Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives Bitter, that word bitter is uh, the same word mara that's still used to describe the herb that, that Jewish people use in the Passover when they celebrate Passover to remind them of the bitterness of their experience in Egypt. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. And then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives Shiphrah and Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill it. Kill him. If it's a girl, let her live. Would you circle the word bitter? I've got them underlined in your outline. I hope they're still that way. Bitter, ruthless, Pharaoh. Let me show you why this is just an example of who the devil is. These are the works of the devil. 
Whatever he promises you, he's going to produce bitterness in your life. Now look at me. I know you love me. I know you trust me. But I really need you to trust me right now. Because you will be tempted to compromise your faith. And it's not temptation if it doesn't look good. Hello? It's not temptation if it doesn't look good. And you will be tempted to think that will satisfy because the enemy comes as an angel of light. But the fruit of everything in your life that you yield to in temptation will only produce bitterness. Now, having said that, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. And I'm not saying that the reason you may not be reaching your potential or I may not be reaching my potential is because we have to be sinless. We don't have to be sinless. But as we grow in Christ, we should sin less and less and less. Does that make sense? I expect baby Christians to make lots of messes. I expect adolescent Christians to make bigger messes. But I expect as people grow in their faith that they get rock solid and they begin to reach their potential in Christ. Understand this. The works of the devil are ruthless. He is out to destroy your life, your home, your marriage, your children, your career potential, your vocation. Understand this. The works of the devil doesn't stop with you. He is after the next generation. He is after your future. My future as a father is in my children and my grandchildren. That's my future. My future as a pastor is in you and the fruit that you bear for Christ. And I know God will give you and I fruit that will remain. Long after our names are forgotten, the fruit of our lives will go on. Can you say amen to that? That's, that's, that's what the enemy, because if he gets you to compromise, if he gets you defeated, if he gets you to give up, if he gets you to start thinking, all I'm ever going to do is work in the mud pit. All I'm ever going to be is a slave. All I'm ever going to do is make bricks. If he gets you to believe that, even though you may love Jesus and you may sing the songs, but you, you fail to get out of the mud pit because you're afraid of the adversary who tells you, you'll never be anything but a brick maker. You'll never be anything but a mud pit worker. You'll never amount to anything. And how many of us have been told those kind of lies? Sometimes by the people we trusted and loved the most. You're never going to make anything. Some people handle that in two ways. Some people go, you're right, I'll never be anything. And then the other person spends the rest of his life trying to prove somebody wrong that's been dead for years and years and years and they never reach that place in their life where they go, you know what? I've succeeded. I've brought glory to God. They're constantly trying to prove somebody wrong. That's ruthlessness. And it will destroy the next generation. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, we've got, a, we've got a perfect picture of this. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children and all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. There will be a constant spiritual warfare until Christ comes again. The fourth thing, and this is the good news I want to share with you tonight, is God has sent you a deliverer. God has deliverance for you. The children of Israel didn't know it, but God was already preparing a deliverer. Remember that little boy that came floating down the river? What was his name? Moses. Moses is a type of Christ. I've, over and over, I remind you, when every time the president or the speaker of the house looks up, they look right at a picture of Moses or a, a, a relief of Moses' face up in the, in, the, in the House of Representatives, in the people's house. Look at your neighbor and says, God's got a plan for your deliverance right now. Just look at your neighbor. He's got a plan. God's working. God, Heinz, Maryland, God is working something for you right now. I can promise you that. That's not a prophecy. I can just promise you that. Darlin, God is working that you're not even aware of. God is working for you right now. Tell your neighbor again, God's got a plan in motion for you right now. He does. I mean, it took a long time. Moses was 80 years old when God finally called him out of the wilderness. And they probably weren't expecting an 80-year-old shaggy shepherd because that's what he was doing at the time. And sometimes your answer doesn't come the way you'd like for it to come. 
Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's keep going. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He's 80 years old, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock fire into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. The story of Moses is just, you think he's off the scene because he's run out of Egypt for being a murderer. Now he's the very thing the Egyptians despise. He's no longer a prince of Egypt. He's a shepherd, which they despise. So what am I saying to you tonight? I'm saying you've got to trade the enemy's schemes for, in your life for God's promises to you. I think God just today gave me all kinds of illustrations. Just this morning, on my way into to the church, I got a call early this morning and says, Pastor, are all those promises in the Bible, are they really ours? I go, why would you ask me that question? You've heard me teach on this. Well, somebody said that the promises that were made for the Jewish people were just for the Jewish people and they're not for us. I said, now tell me what you've heard me preach. Well, you read us one verse one time where all the promises belong to us and you told us that the church is the new Israel of God. It doesn't do away with, with Israel, but we are the new Israel of God. And th they knew it all. I mean, the fathead knew it all. I told him so. You're being a fathead. Why are you listening to a doubter instead of listening to the Word of God? He goes, well, well they just sounded so smart. The devil always sounds smart. Okay? And it's okay to disagree if you want to. If you don't want the promises of God, live in the mud pit. But we don't have to live there with you. We'll go there and try to help get you out, but you've got to decide whether you want to come out or not. Right? I just got a good sermon idea. The greatest coming out story ever. <laughs> Don't write that one down, sweetie, or I'll forget it. The greatest coming out story ever. I just, you know, you get to choose. Are you coming out or are you going to stay in the pit? You see, the devil has a scheme, but God's purpose for your life is indelibly real inside of you. And I know that sounds redundant, but it's not. Indelibly means that God has put his spiritual DNA into your life. God breathed. I prayed that. I reminded you of that at the beginning. God breathed his, he breathed, he breathed his spirit into man, and man became a living soul. God is, when you're born again, the Spirit of God comes into your life and His purpose for your life is indelible. It cannot be removed. You can file Washington's face off a quarter, but you can't file the image of God off a human life. It's indelibly real inside of you. And when the devil presses in, and he will press in, you've got to stand firm upon the promises of God. I'm telling you, for some of you that you maybe just identify one area of potential, don't think he's going to give up that ground easily in your life. Pharaoh shouted, you're just lazy, lazy. That's what you're saying. Let us go off sacrifices to the Lord. Now get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the full quota of bricks. Well, the Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble. So they confronted Moses and Aaron. May the Lord judge and punish you for making a stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword in their hands, an excuse to kill us. Now, you may go out of here tonight, and you may decide, I am going to reach my full potential in Christ and all hell's gonna break loose. And you come complain to Pastor Rick. You tell him all about it. Pastor's message has made my life stink before the devil. I don't mind stinking before the devil, but I wanna smell good before God. I want the fragrance of Christ. Remember last week, I, 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 we talked about boundaries? Well, you see, once you are born again, the promised land is a symbol of, of your new life in Christ. And I've got to really pick it up here, so listen fast. Pharaoh said, look, finally, I mean, God's judging him. God said, the people are angry with Moses because of all the bad things that are happening to them because they're coming out of the mud pit. Pharaoh increases the quota. 
God sends the plagues, and so Pharaoh says, okay, Moses, all right, Moses, you can take the men, go to your sacrifices, but you got to do it here in Egypt, and don't you dare take the women and the children and the livestock with you. Moses says, no. We've got to all go, and we've got to go back to the promised land, or none of us go. You see, Satan wants to keep you in his territory. He wants to keep you in his boundary lines. He doesn't want you to possess the life and the promised land that God has for you. Does that make sense? And so, finally, the plagues keep coming. So, finally, Pharaoh has enough. His, even his court magicians and his wise men and his astrologers are saying to him, you got to let them go. you got to. We're going to be destroyed. So, Pharaoh comes in and says, look, you can take, you can take the women and the children, but you gotta, you got to leave your animals here. In other words, you can't leave your career. You can't leave your vote. you got to leave your animals here. Moses says, no. And then finally, the ultimate plague comes, and they leave. The point I'm trying to make to you right now is simply this. The devil will press in. And I can't tell you the times that I've had these conversations. You start to have family devotions, and all of a sudden, your children begin to give you problems. You say, I'm going to live a generous life, and you begin to tithe, and then you begin to have financial problems. And so you think, I can't tithe because I can't, I can't meet my obligations, so I can't tithe. See, the devil's trying to get you to compromise so you'll stay in his territory because he knows if you get into the promised land, you're going to be blessed abundantly. And there's always a battle to be fought. So you have to know what the promises of God are. And then finally tonight, you've got to declare those promises of God. You've got to declare those promises of God. And Mark, if you'll come on up, and I'll wrap this up quickly. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I'm telling you. If I were you tonight, I would take that one area of potential that you feel like you're not reaching. Maybe there's several areas that you feel like you're not reaching. I would take that one area of potential in my life and I would say, God, what does your word say about this? Is it your health? Is it your vocation? Is it your marriage? Is it your children? Are you worried about your future? Are you worried about your attitude? Is it depression? I don't mean to be negative, but I'm just trying to... Those things that come through on our prayer list every week, week after week after week, that I'm praying with people for. Those things that we gather on Saturday night, week after week, and we pray for people for. What is that area that's keeping you from your full potential? And then begin to search your Bible. And if you need help, we'll be glad to help you here at the church. Your small group will be glad to help you identify those promises that you can you can't declare them if you don't know them you can't declare them if you not too long ago well just a few years ago one day here at the church I got a certificate of deposit that I had forgotten all about that I had I'd forgotten that I had it I had made the investment years ago it had matured and because we had moved they couldn't find us so finally, somebody told them, you know, that we pastored here, and the bank sent that certificate of deposit to us here. It was during our first capital fund campaign. Coincidence? No, I think it was a promise from God so that we could just, you know, use that towards what God had put upon our hearts by faith. We didn't have it. We had it. We just didn't know we had it. <laughs> by faith to do. And there are things you have tonight you don't know that you have in Christ. And you can't declare them until you get into the word of the Lord. And it's amazing how those coincidences happen. So would you stand with me? I want to give you seven promises tonight. Right out, you've already read them with me, but seven promises. I've got them underlined, so pick up your outline and you can look at it here. God says, I am the Lord. I will bring you out. I will bring you out. I don't care what you under. What you're enslaved to, God will bring you out. 
I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you. I don't know what you may be enslaved to that I may not be aware of. But God says, I will free you. And once you're set free, you'll never want to go back to being a slave again. Amen? I will free, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. He'll break the power. He's, when he says redeem, he's breaking the power of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's armies ended up under the Red Sea. And you know they're discovering those down there now? They're discovering those chariots down there? Somebody, I haven't read the article yet, but uh, one of the men in the church called me the other day at National Geographic, and it's not in the three inches of water that some of these lunatic people have said, you know, there was three inches. If they drowned in three inches of water, that's an even bigger miracle, okay? But suddenly, you know, the more things are discovered, the more we find out these stories are true. He'll break the power of sin. I'll redeem you. I will take you as my own people. I'm glad to be a child of God tonight. I'm glad that I can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, that word means Daddy. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land. God wants to bring you to a place of fullness, a place of abundance. But look at this. I will give it to you as a possession. I will give it to you as a possession. With all my heart, the greatest possession I have is my marriage and my children and my grandchildren and you. And I refuse to give that up in Jesus' name. I don't want to give up my marriage, my children. I don't give up my ministry. There is nothing worth that. Can you say amen? In John chapter 5, and I, I really wanted to, and I got three minutes before I have to be done. <clears throat> John chapter 5. It's a man who for 38 years couldn't reach his potential. Remember the story of the pool of Bethesda? Because people got in ahead of him. He says, Lord, for 38 years, people have been getting into the heavenly hot tub ahead of me. And so therefore, I'm not able to get a miracle. That's what he tells Jesus. And Jesus does a miracle in his life. It's a fascinating story. Jesus does a miracle in his life. Don't let an attitude of defeat keep you bound for 38 years when God wants you to be free of the grindstone tonight. God wants you to profit and prosper and be productive or fruitful in his name. Amen? Holy Spirit, thank you for the Spirit-filled life that we live. Thank you, Jesus, that our circumstances don't define us like that marvelous young man, Lord, that graduated as valedictorian of his school. Thank you, Lord, that our health doesn't define us. Lord, there are those in this congregation that, Lord, you have healed. You've set them free. They have family members that you've healed. Lord, thank you tonight that education doesn't define us. You took D.L. Moody and you used him to shake the world. And I could go on and on. I pray that we will break the chains of mediocrity, the chains of defeatism, the mentality of victimhood, Lord. God, we will be free from the grindstone to be the people of God from the mud pit all the way to the throne of glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray tonight. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. I love you a lot. Good night.